0: Uh, that music, uh, The Great God of Wonders, it's been a while since we have sung that, and um, I think we've sung it once or twice. It's a little bit of a challenge, but it's it's got a great message, and it's pretty uh, biblically <clears throat> based. Let me do a quick check. I'm going to say it's, okay, Micah 7:18. Micah 7:18 says, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in mercy. That's Micah 7:18. So you can see that struck the uh, hymn writer. I'll just, if you look at this, it'll tell you the hymn writer is Samuel Davies. He wrote the lyrics. Uh, I was thinking of him, too, because we're doing American church history in our Sunday school class, and he was part of that. He was one of the earlier uh, threads of of the Great Awakening, we heard about the Log College. Uh, he was a graduate of Log College, at the, and eventually, I think he was a president of uh, President Princeton University. If I remember right, I was telling some others. I, I can't remember if I. The story is true, but it may not be. He may not be the hero. <laughs> but I think it was Samuel Davies because uh, he did. Uh, he was a voice for the dissenting church. Remember, in in the, uh, he was in Virginia, I believe, and that was. Church of England, an Anglican, and he was really big on we should worship with freedom, not be bound by a state church so uh, he was uh, brought I think as he was brought before the uh, the government and to stand, you know, to, to answer the fact that they were having independent meetings that were not part of the Anglican church and uh, they said what do you believe and uh, he tried to ex- you know, he started explaining their beliefs and walking through them and the um, the judge said, "What? Well, that sounds like the Westminster Confession. What's that?" So he handed him a copy, and he read through it. and Said, "That's what we believe. That's that's ours." And so, um, so he was an early uh, Presbyterian in America for that reason. Um, and so that's Samuel Davis. So one of the early um, voices for Christ and the gospel in America. Uh, John Newton wrote the music. But not that John Newton, the other John Newton. <laughs> this is not the John Newton of uh, Amazing Grace fame, yeah. and that it'll, it'll that throws you a curveball. But he uh, he's a different John Newton. Yeah. And then one other thing, uh, you, I don't know if you ever know. Do you ever on those songs? Give you a clue when we show up the slides at the beginning, we give you some of the details who wrote it, music and song. At the end, in really small print, so you can't read it, we uh, we tell you again the same thing and in copyright information. Mm-hmm. When you see that, that tells you we're on the last slide. <laughs> that's, that's one of your clues. When you see that, until you see that, keep singing.
1: <laughs>
0: well, if you read the, the musician, I can't remember now who wrote the words for Hiding and the," but the musician was Iris Sankey. Um, you know, you probably know, you know Billy Graham, he always had his uh, George Beverly Shea uh, sing. And D.L. Moody, I don't know what, 100 years before, uh, he had his Iris Sankey. Uh, both of them were involved in the Civil War, I think uh, in Moody in terms of ministry to the troops. Uh, Ira Sankey was actually a soldier in the Civil War. And one time he was on the sentry uh, duty. And uh, I think he was on the northern side and someone on the southern side had him in his sights and was about ready to take a shot and take him out. And then Ira started singing. Apparently he had this amazing singing voice and the, I think the fellow on the other side looking at who had him in his sights was a believer he just set down his rifle and just enjoyed the concert wow. <laughs> later on I think he went to a Moody Sankey uh, uh, th- uh, conference or something and he heard Sankey s- singing and said you know what your singing voice saved your life because mm-hmm. <laughs> I was ready to take you out that's not the language I'm sure he used right. but when I heard you sing I couldn't and so um, just that has not Maybe a little bit to do with hiding and they. Well, I William want Cushing to. Sh- Pardon William Cushing wrote it. William Cushing. And he invented the Cushing bearings. <laughs> I'll wait for a story I'll on the others. Yeah. <laughs> There's got to be one. There's got to be one. Okay, okay so I'm okay. going to try and share my screen here. This is the Apple approach. We'll see if that works. Okay. This time, I see Apple TV. There we go. Okay. We are up and running.
1: <laughs> That's my
0: screensaver. So <laughs> uh. <clears throat> just look at that
1: for a
2: moment.
0: <laughs> uh, I wanted <laughs> you to see Enfield, Connecticut. It's very close to where Barb's family is up in Massachusetts. Um, if you, when you travel to New England, it's so different from Texas. In you know, tra- Texas, you can travel all day and get it to be in stay in one county. Uh, up there, you know, you two stoplights and you've just gone through two states. It's, uh, um, so this is uh, Enfield, Connecticut in July. Blue skies, green grass, and if you notice, there is a rock. That rock I'll point to, but that mark says this is the site where, um, where the Sinners in the hang- Hands of an Angry God was preached by Jonathan Edwards. Now what's interesting is we went, there's a lot of these little towns up there have uh, museums. and Like sometimes they're open just Sunday afternoon. So we went in, we went after church, we went to a, a church in Enfield, a gospel preaching Baptist church, First Baptist, First Baptist of Enfield. Anyway, so I went to the museum and said, uh, can you tell me where the Jonathan Edwards, where's the church where he preached? He said, who? <laughs> I said, Jonathan Edwards. I don't know, I think, let me talk to someone else. So they went, the guy who's really the expert with I said, yeah, I've heard a little bit something. And he reached, he went into their files and he pulled out and they had one little article on Jonathan Edwards. And I said, you should know about Jonathan Edwards. He preached a very famous sermon here in Enfield. And Jonathan Edwards is considered by secular and religious authorities alike to be the greatest mind that America has ever produced. And he said, as we're speaking, Yale University is reprinting scholarly editions of all his works. You should know (laughs) because he put you on the map. You should know. And so afterwards, I went and sent them a a biography uh, on Jonathan Edwards and said, put this in your library. You need to know about this guy. Know-it-all Texas. Pardon Know-it-all Texas. Yeah, know-it-all Texas. No, no. I said, he was stuck up here. He would have gone to Texas if he could
1: have.
0: <laughs> um, so anyway, now that, that was a little background. We went and, then we, and they, they said, I think, so, they had to talk to two or three people. And finally they pointed us to this, this rock. Um, here's another look at it, kind of, as you get the field, this is an open field. And if you noticed earlier, at least at the time, you could own the lot where... Sinners, of an hang of a, wow. sinners in the hand of an angry God was preached. Um, tempting, huh? Yeah. There's
1: there.
0: Yeah. So, um, and here's the boulder. It says, This boulder marks the place where stood the second meeting house of the first church of Christ in Enfield, built in 1704. Now, that, that, for Texans, you know, second. Meeting house in 1704 So that just kind of shows you how old These areas are yeah. But it's not that old When I remember visiting cousins in Denmark And they took me to a church and they said Yes this was remodeled in 1492 <laughs> so, uh, But anyway <clears throat> It was used for worship until 1775 In this meeting house On July 8 1741 <clears throat> anniversary. That's when we were there at seventeen July eight, not seventeen forty
1: one.
0: During the revival known as the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards preached his celebrated sermon "Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God." Now, I don't know when the boulder was placed, but I think that's significant. That right there is a uh, testimony to one of the greatest sermons in history, certainly in American history. This is not Enfield.
1: <laughs>
0: so that was that was our Sunday school class. Any other comments or questions on the uh, that aspect on Edwards or? I think Stephen Nichols does a tremendous job in church history. What was the first Church of Christ? What was that? When we think of Church of Christ, we think of uh, the Campbellite group. (laughs) That's that was much later than this. So it would have been a a congregational church as opposed to a uh, Anglican church. So they would have been congregational, which would be uh, infant baptizing. Um, you know, covenant theology um, So, and that would be very much like the Puritans that came over a lot of them were, were it kind of con- that congregational so that's the key the authority was in the congregational vote as opposed to a bishop sure. yes so in case
1: there's anybody who didn't hear this morning you might want to talk about that this was the sermon that he had in his backpack
0: Yes, and so in Sunday school we heard that, that um, he'd already preached this mm-hmm. up in Northampton, Ham- North which is where his home church was. And again, we went up and visited that uh, church, well, the one that's built in the same place. Um, but but he, um, he preached this sermon there, and it didn't do a lot. It didn't really fly too much, but he preached it. He had it in a saddlebag and he came to a meeting that was going on in Enfield. He brought it along, the sermon thinking he might edit it for publication. Uh, when he got there, the appointed uh, speaker ran, went there on horseback in the rain and got sick and so he couldn't preach. So Edward said, I've got a sermon. And so he got up and preached it. And they say the typical way he preached it is he would read uh, and, and look up and project, so not looking in the eye, uh, but he preached this sermon. And it um, he had to stop at a time to let the people calm down because it so awakened them. As he, and, as he speaks of Sinners in the hand, and basically, he's, he's building it on uh, uh, Moses' second song or song in Deuteronomy. And in one of the, you know, he talks about, you know, we are on the verge at any moment, God's wrath could, could fall upon us. And he, and he described it in one case as like, a, like a, uh, holding a spider over a flame on a single thread, you know, that you know, just a little bit of threads keeping you from falling straight into the fires of God's wrath. And I often thought Edwards used that illustration because he actually wrote, as a youngster, he wrote a, a published scientific article about spiders.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but, but his whole point is, at any moment, we could slide, slip into God's judgment. Mm-hmm. What passage was that?
1: Deuteronomy? 30, 32. 32,
0: 32 something. 5, 9, and 20 something. Alright, let me, let me see if I can... Is that the Old Testament?
1: <laughs> <Yes.
0: laughs> while well, you're looking up I'd heard stories that there were people like hanging under the columns or in the building feeling like they're going to fall into the flames yeah. Yeah. oh
2: my God! And, wow. and it wasn't like you say it wasn't like it was a big dramatic presentation in this part It wow. that was just the power of the word wow. 46 to 47 32
0: 46 to 47 okay
2: And five and
0: nine, I think, were two others. Um, Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 to 47. Yeah. And he said, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe, all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by this word you shall prolong your days of the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Deuteronomy was preached on the eastern side of the Jordan before they entered the land. So kind of a final sermon. Moses wasn't going with them, and he preached this message. Then the Lord spoke to Moses that very same day, saying, Go up this mountain on the, of the Ar- Abarim, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, across from Jericho. View the land of Canaan, which I give to the children of Israel as a possession, and die on the mountain which you ascend, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother on Mount Kor has gathered his people to them. Am I reading the right yeah, Look at uh, verse 5 up there. 32-5? Yeah. Okay. Five yeah, I was reading 45. <laughs> it's a good book and those were good passages. <laughs> <laughs> On verse 35, you start
3: 35 talking about is the part vengeance talking is about. and recompense. That was verse 35. Their foot shall slide in
2: due time. And what uh, verse is uh, that? 32. No, David has it. 32.
3: What verse?
2: 35. 35. 35. 35. On the actual book, that's what it says on the actual book, Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five. Okay. It's about 20 pages long, the whole sermon.
0: Uh, Max McLean has uh, pre- has preached this. <clears throat> and you can listen to him preach this sermon. And he gives credit to for So 32, 5. Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. And there's talking about how the people will um, be blessed, and will slip away and become increasingly rebellious. And what he's saying in verse uh, 35 is, the day will come when that spider thread will snap. That's, that's Jonathan Edwards, and they will plunge into God's wrath. And so the warning is to the people of his day: you do not know. You are on the. If you have yet to trust in Christ, you are on the edge of eternity. When I think about that, a a nation that was richly blessed and at any moment could slide into God's judgment, I think that could be us. It's a nation that God has incredibly blessed and prospered and showed such mercies. And we have turned our back on him in so many ways. and, And frankly, I look and see where we are economically and I think of things that could be happening keep getting nervous. I won't get to preach my prophetic update sermon.
1: Um,
0: but at any moment, I mean, things could cha- happen remarkably quickly at this point. I mean, there's threats of nuclear war in Europe. Uh, there's threat of incredible deprivation as Russia is you know, cutting off uh, gas supplies and, and, and fuel supplies. Apparently, one of the strategies Putin has is to um, purposely attack the power infrastructure of Ukraine and so and basically freeze them into submission and, um, and, and the impact that will have on Europe and eventually America I mean, look at us morally, spiritually, economically uh, militarily, we're one of our weakest faces in a long time and, and so uh, it's very believable to me that any moment a, a, a foot could slide we could slip into judgment. But the encouragement is, though it was different issues, Jonathan Edwards could speak that to his day and say, we are ready for God's wrath. We must flee. And God poured out an awakening. And though that's my praying, is that God would pour out his, his Holy Spirit, a spirit of repentance, as it's called in Zechariah, uh, pour out mercy on us that would turn and I like the idea of awakening. That has the people who are asleep or dead being brought to life. Revival suggests something that you know is alive that needs to be revived. We're dead outside of Christ. We need awakening. We need His mercy. So, um, anyway, that was something of what we heard about this morning in Sunday school. A great lesson. A great truth to remember that period of American history. Verse 5 and 6 gave the bit about the people acting corruptly. In the... mm. Okay, so 5 and 6. So the whole chapter is really helpful for the context. 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy 32 show where the people are and why they are on the edge of God's judgment. Okay. Any other comments on the Sunday school lesson? Well, moving over from Jonathan Edwards. Let's go back 2,000 years before that to our sermon this morning um, and the the healing of the blind man. One thing I wanted to show you was just a a sense of... Remember I talked about how he had to go down to the pool of Siloam. And um, so I think I want to show you down here. That's the pool of Siloam right here. And here are the gates that I'm thinking he might have been where he might here, meet people on their way in, getting ready to go up and worship. And again, that's a great place for a beggar to hit someone. You're about to go in and worship God, and here's a poor beggar asking you for a little help, and you want to go before God and say you've been merciful to the poor, you know, so they you know that's where he would beg, I would gather. This is, by the way, the area of the city of David. Didn't look like this in the days of David, but this is so when we think of the city of David, it's not all of that, it's this. This is Jerusalem in the days of Jesus. So down here is the Pool of Siloam. But if you notice, it's it's an upward incline up there. So it's it's not a. If you look at the little houses, you get the sense of how long that walk would be to go down blind with mud in your eyes, um, and then to walk back up. So this is the this is the Jerusalem model um, at the. Israel Museum in, in Jerusalem. So this is a it's uh, it's, it's built to uh, scale. It's and they revise it archaeologically every new discovery. They go in and fix it to fit what they're learning. But if you look behind it, there are some things that were not Davidic. Yeah. <laughs> Sky rises in the distance.
3: And was this a spring-fed pool, or was it more like a cistern that it collected
0: water? Spring-fed. It. It. So this is where Hezekiah's tunnel emptied into this uh, these pools and from the Gihon spring you well know, let's see which is over in this area in fact that'll show up on one of these other pictures so here's a here's a a, a view above modern Jerusalem you see you see the Temple Mount you see the dome of the rock you see by the way this points out and answers the question where is the Wailing wall or the western wall is that little portion down there At ground level, those are Herodian stones. Uh, Later, reflect later, uh, I think especially during the Turkish Empire, uh, some of the upper part. But this is the the, uh, temple mount. And so all they have left are these stones of the outer retaining wall, if you will, of of the temple mount. So here's this valley, central valley. Here's the Kidron Valley, so these valleys that come down. And the Hinnom Valley, that's where we get the name Gehenna. This is where the dumps were that were often smoky and burning and that sort of thing. And so this is the city of David. It's now covered by uh, modern housing, but a lot of archaeological work is going on. Notice this map where it's showing you. This is what we consider now to be the Pool of Siloam. These were This was a pool and church built in the Byzantine era, when the you know, 400, 500, somewhere in there. Uh, and that was thought for a long time to be the Pool of Siloam. When I lived in Israel, that's where he went to see the Pool of Siloam. And again, the Hezekiah's tunnel pulls into that. Only recently have they discovered like in the 1990s or so, uh, this other pool. So having said that, let me go back. So what we're looking at, here is the Byzantine pools, and down in this area is the the Pool of Siloam. So if you look, see all these houses, see the street, it's uphill. That's a bit of a walk that he took. So it wasn't just go step out for a minute or two and then come back. And the and the Keyhole uh, uh, the Spring is up in this area. So. So would you say
3: that's about a mile?
0: From I don't the know. Temple to the. That's a good question. I'm not sure how you. A couple of miles. I would say at least a mile. Of <laughs> you go to Israel; they tell you in meters or kilometers. So, but anyway, that just gives you a feel of how far he went. Now, what it looked like was more like this, but it was definitely kind of this uphill um, walk. So, I like to kind of put those things in perspective as you're reading your Bible to kind of keep things in mind. Well, let's talk then about the um, the passage. Any? Um, I guess I can take off of this now. were there any thoughts you had on today's uh, message or the, I mean the, the text I
1: have been wondering about something okay um, when Jesus got down in the dirt and made that mud and got his hands in the mud and, um, it reminded me of when he got down on the ground and washed the disciples' feet. And I wondered if it
0: was kind of a um, show of humility. So a show of humility that Jesus stooped into the dirt to make her, the clay. I think, I think that's a probably good, a good talk. I can't, you know, can't be dogmatic, but it sure is a humbling-looking thing. And, and, and he didn't need to do that. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I, why did he do it? There's lots of, you know, it wasn't medicinal in any way. Um, one thought I've had is that forced him to go away. And so when, he, when he's healed, Jesus isn't even present. And so that kind of brings about where he's going to eventually be brought to the Pharisees. And I think, too, I think he purposely, I think the Lord purposely did it on the Sabbath and purposely. Made the mud, but he was not violating Sabbath law. He wrote the law, you know. So in other words, he's not—he's not, he's not going to break God's law. He's going to honor. It, but what he is going to say is, but to what you're celebrating—the the restrictions you put on it—are not God's law. And so I think that's part of what he's doing. But I think the the, the humbling and getting his hands dirty, if you will, in ministry—I think that's a reality. It's interesting that the speculation that he would require
3: a blind man to walk
0: a see. long way. Downhill. Was,
3: down <laughs> yeah, so he could have done, he would have to have someone with him, I suppose, mm-hmm. hand railing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, you would think. Of
3: all, why does, someone that can't see, why does he have to go so far away
0: for his the pool? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, so It makes sense they, for a leper or something. But yeah. Maybe
1: yeah. to show his trust. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's yeah. a long walk for yeah. a blind man to take. But he, he didn't hesitate. Yeah. You know, which which is again an example that the miracles often show us our uh, picture of salvation and so here we see you know just instant and instantly obedient you say go I'm going you say wash it, I'm washing he didn't ask and debate and question so also, often we do that with God it's
3: a long witness all the way back yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah pretty,
3: he was getting attention because you couldn't stop being so excited after yeah, that happens to you so there was a lot of Witnessing
0: advertisement, you know, even Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing else but all the way back. to see, like it drew other people into the process. Again, someone maybe holding an arm and t- maybe worry going. You got mud in your eyes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Jesus did that on the Sabbath, would it also he could have just spoken mm-hmm. his healing. didn't
0: but, even he need to speak, remember? He yeah. just told someone, but Oh, your daughter's he, already alive.
1: But he did work by mixing the clay with that? Have been- Not
0: law-breaking work. He, 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 did, he, he, he actively did ministry of mercy. Yeah,
1: but there were the Pharisees have called that yes. an active work.
0: In, a, in a several ways. One, he was, they might think that he was kneading, like kneading dough. Kneading is specifically forbidden. Anointing, and the word used of putting the mud on his eyes in, in the Greek is he anointed his eyes. So it's very um, kind of in your face that your restrictions are not God's restrictions. And one of the things God will continue, Jesus will say, is you know the Sabbath is for man. It's not. It's not uh, a penalty. It's not a. Uh, it, it's meant to be a blessing of rest and refreshing, and the refreshing of works, work uh, of, of service, and the refreshing of mercy. And so mercy ministry. You know It's built on, ultimately, not the Mosaic Law, but Genesis. You know, on the seventh day, God rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. And the word Shabbat means to cease. He ceased from his tasks of creation. But God didn't cease activity, or the universe would have spun out of control. And so, um, so Sabbath rest isn't inactivity. Um, it's it's God honoring, serving, and mercy and worship. And, and Jesus is trying to show them the true meaning of Sabbath. Mercy is good. And he'll say later on, right? If your if your ox falls into a into a hole, you're going to rescue it. Now here's a man blind, or you know, remember they got all they tested him. Are, are here's a man with a withered hand. Surely you won't heal him on the Sabbath. And he's thinking, what is wrong with you? This man has a withered hand. And he goes ahead and uh, accepts the challenge and heals him. And see, to me, that's what I was, another thing that was in my thoughts today. There was different questions. The Pharisees uh, talked to the man. They talked to the neighbors, the friends. They talked to the parents. They talked to the man again. The one witness they really should have brought in was Jesus. What did you do? And why did you do it? You know, so if God does something that doesn't make sense to us, we're the ones who aren't understanding. it, And they should have, you know, we, you don't come to the Messiah and say, you're breaking our rules. You come to the Messiah and say, teach us to rightly understand the rules. And that's, I'll say, that's not a Jewish way of approaching it. One of my quotes I like in the Talmud is, there were some rabbis getting together and um, they were having a dispute and the majority voted one way and the minority voted the other way. And God spoke and sided with the minority view. At which point the rabbis rebuked him and said you are, it's not right to overrule the majority vote. And God recanted and said you're right I should not have spoken against the majority view. Wow. So that's how they determined wow. which, which rabbinic approach is right which the, which the majority say. Do you see the kind of a view of even, even Messiah? Well, if you're out of line with our view of the law, you're wrong.
2: They
0: you don't realize they're outwitted and outpowered. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know, um, I, I'm sorry, I misunderstood. I, my heart was to honor you. Boy, did I get that wrong. Just Teach us, Lord. Teach us, Messiah. Like His disciples, teach us. How do you how do pray? Teach us how do you do that? They're praying all their lives, but. You know, you have a chance to learn from Jesus, Jesus, well, they probably didn't want to bring Jesus in because every time they
2: try to trick him, they turn <laughs> out losers. Yeah,
0: it's, that's very true. Every time they bring, they have a uh, try to outwit Jesus, they walk away and and um, so that one didn't work. Yeah.
3: What was the walking restrictions on the Sabbath day?
0: You can only walk so far. You could walk, uh, and I get a little confused. I, you could certainly walk within your house. I think you could walk within a city uh, of boundaries. And so, uh, if you, for example, in North Dallas, you'll see this. Uh, on the Sabbath, they'll send out committees to make sure that they have uh, things connecting. And so, this neighborhood is now considered an enclosed, like within the walls. And so, they and so they'll run lines and they count fences and all this kind of stuff and say, "Okay, we have an enclosure, so you can walk to synagogue within this area." So um, there's also talk about how long a, a, a Sabbath walk is, but I think the key is, is it's within the enclosed area.
2: That went all the way down to a number of steps.
0: That, that wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know what it is. But see, everything was is, was very, you know, guarded. They could tell you how many strokes you could take with a pen on a piece of paper. And I think it was two because there may be only one or two But more than that And it looks like you could be forming a letter And you're not supposed to write on the Sabbath yeah. well, None of that was the intent Of the
2: first commandment
0: Yeah it, it, It's it, it's it's going Beyond the law that's where Jesus is going to say So this is Jesus' problem with the Pharisees You have set your rule Over God's law <laughs> And in my sense this is very much what Roman Catholicism does. It takes man's traditions, the church traditions, and they um, rule over the scriptures, as opposed to saying, we submit to the scriptures. And so the traditions of the rabbis, what they argue, they call it the written Torah, that's our Bible, and the oral Torah, they say also came from Mount Sinai, so after, God, after Moses wrote and God verbally spoke with these things and it was passed down and comes out through the rabbis yeah,
2: you know, It took the words out of my mouth though I also was going to say what it, did. it shows the danger of adding to the scriptures that you're doing that and it also gets me thinking about a Romans 1 and uh, Isaiah yeah, in Isaiah where talks
0: about eyes that see and ears that hear. We need to be praying for most of those. Yeah, so eyes and ears that will truly see and truly hear. And, and at the end of this, uh, Jesus is, you know, going to talk about, I came to heal the blind. Those who see, I can't help. And they say, are we blind? Well, you say you see, and that's your problem. You're, you're really blind, but you think you see.
2: I like where you said, beware of the experts. Yeah, You know, today we c- tend to consider the preacher the expert. Hmm. And, uh, you know, so many of them out there are false teaching, uh, things that aren't in scripture. And there's a definition of an expert. An X ex is a
0: has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> so an expert is a has-been, who's a drip under pressure, yeah. <laughs> That that is so, and that grieves my heart because, you know, uh, they assume this person's an expert because they know certain vocabulary, they've had certain training. Why they went to the our denominational school, and were you know so obviously they must know. What do I know? Um, and, and that was what something Martin Luther you know wrestled with. Uh, when he was translating the scripture, remember there's a there's a line in the movie where you know the, they said what, we, what, why are you translating the Bible into German? You know, so the and he said if you if you do that, then any common man out there will have the Bible and be able to read it and understand it. What would happened then? And Luther's response is well, maybe we'd have more Christians. You know, speaking of the Luther film, uh, uh, a week from tomorrow is uh, Reformation Day. Fifteen seventeen was the original. Uh, so next Sunday evening, I, I was wondering, we, one option would be: Are you, are you interested in seeing uh, an abbreviated, not behold, the whole, the a portion of the Luther film again? Uh, would you want to do that next Sunday evening, or have you seen it enough that you can quote it? I can, like as long as we okay. popcorn. As well. well, we'll have to have some. We'll have to have some kind of. I don't know. It seems like we should have. Sausage. Yeah, sausage, I think. Yeah. yeah. some and- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And sauerkraut. Yeah. All right. Oh, just the thought of the smell I never mind. But anyway,
1: um,
0: so let's do, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and do that. And it's just a good review. Uh, and we'll show that traditional one and it, and I'll cut it off, basically get it through. It'll be a little over an hour. But it's a good, and I've always appreciated. They really deal with the theological issues. There's another good one uh, that's in color, a new, longer, but also excellent. But we'll, we'll, we'll stick with the old for, for the old version. Yes. the The second one, no, but it really, in some way, it, you know, again, it kind of expresses his heart, uh, Luther's heart. It expresses well the. Where this one, you know, with this Luther film, the one that goes back to the 50s, but I'll be using the uh, re- refixed one where it's now high def, but um, it more focuses on the torments of Luther, where that other one helps see what this what the cost, what that oppression cost to people and his compassion for them. So that's good, too. Um, Sir, I was just going to say my final application is that I need to be bold and yet uh, gentle, and, and, and so and so often we think you can't be both—boldly humble, boldly gentle. Can't end. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good challenge.
3: We're so drawn to people who have high intellect. Great learning, but oftentimes it's the simplest person that really has the truth and living out what they should be. Oftentimes we listen to someone because they're so academic, and they, they maybe quote mm-hmm. them off or we refute them because they read all these books. And I should say, what do they think about the Bible? What's their source? Get yeah. really way late and not want to contradict. Or I, I don't want to contradict someone who's very intellectual.
0: He must know. He's educated. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: and, and educated into ignorance half the time.
0: Yeah. So that again, yeah. we if we really believe the Bible, and it's translated, and I don't, and frankly, virtually most of the translations out there, I would say, would be a good help to you. In other words, with that English translation in front of you, with a careful study, you're there, Mark.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mentioned you after the service, I mean the, the whole idea of the you know the expert and, and all those type of things. You know, we. We started a section on science and the Truth Project in Sunday school this morning, and and, uh, they had a quote in there, a little excerpt from um, Carl Sagan saying, "We're going to consider all the evidence and carefully scrutinize it, and all this kind of stuff." Well, hogwash! I mean, they consider the stuff to fit their grid, you know. And and, but I think there are a couple things to take out of that. Is yeah, we're going to be faced by confrontational experts that. You know, claim to know, but then on the other hand, I don't think we we have to be gracious because we, we didn't discover the truth on our own either. I mean, God revealed it to us, and He's provided it through His Word. And so, I mean, for us to charge around like we know everything and, and they don't, I think it's we can we can fall into
0: either trap. You know, I mean, we can be intimidated or we can we can be arrogant, and probably neither one is helpful. Excellent. We can be intimidated by their education and brilliance. Or he could be arrogant because they don't see. And that'd be like the blind man being arrogant he could see after he was healed. Mm-hmm. I'm sure for the rest of us, every sunrise he saw, every flower he saw, he just recognized as another gift. And, and, and his eyes were, his, the eyes of his heart were opened.
2: Well think the wealthy are experts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Teddy I put an end to that. Didn't yeah, yeah, that's
0: right. <laughs> Yeah, see, that's the thing is, uh, is it often if you're rich, if you're successful, you must be sm- smart, and you must be, you must know. Uh, and where there's lots and lots and lots of very wealthy lost people, and, and, to, and instead of being intimidated, recognizing the base, the fundamental human being is the same in every heart. They're in darkness, and they need light. And, and again that's a work of the Holy Spirit.
2: I remember a few years back I was uh, talking to a, uh, one of my customers about the Lord in Oklahoma one of my customers on my route and he told me right just outright as we were talking he said he said that's for uh, alcoholics and you know poor people, worthless people,
0: people without hope. I said, We're all without
1: hope,
0: yeah. yeah. And so he might say, Okay, I'm not an alcoholic, I'm you know, exactly. It's, yeah. so, it's so easy to say this is for the, the down and outers, and one answer to that is, You're right, we're all, <laughs> we're all down and out. I, I was with one friend one time, and and someone said, "Well, that Christianity stuff—you know, Jesus is just your crutch." And he said, "No, he's not my crutch. He's the floor I stand on. You know, he's no—he's no, he's no crutch helping me hold up. He is it. Um, and it takes the Holy Spirit to cut through that, really. And that's that's why you know it because the Holy Spirit surgically opens your heart to see. You know
1: the the part of the miracle that." this blind man could see that it doesn't talk about in the Bible um, particularly that I can see, is that he never saw from birth. And when he was older and Jesus gave him sight, he could interpret what he saw. I mean, because uh, I've heard of people who have gotten their sight by some surgery or whatever, but they don't understand what a tree is or they don't understand what things are because they've never seen them. So the miracle of that is that he immediately could see with understanding. Yeah. Mm Yeah, I thought about that too.
0: It would be rather overwhelming to get all that sensory perception. You don't know how to filter, but by the miracle of God, that was
1: all. Without that, he wouldn't have known how to interpret what his yeah. brain would have known how to interpret what he
0: was seeing. Imagine his delight. Of course, at that age, I don't know if he would have then gone about learning the Hebrew, but to, to be able to read the scriptures. Yeah. And, um, but and so many of those things, but certainly to see the temple. And, um, yeah. And he
3: probably would be able to have a job
0: now. Yes, and that's he why he doesn't. And, and would have the, the, the privilege of being able to earn and maybe care for others that's very true uh, very true I heard of someone that uh, someone was speaking, speaking kind of pitiably you know oh I'm sorry that you can't see and you're missing so much and the other guy said well actually I'm sorry for you and I said why I said well the first thing I'm going to see is the face of Jesus Wow. Mm-hmm. so um, and that was one of you know that's one of the things when you Fanny Crosby you know the blind him, uh, she lost her sight as a child through mm-hmm. m- misapplied you know some guy who claimed he knew how to heal an eye infection and ruined her sight um, but um, she, if you walk listen to a lot of her songs she talks about seeing 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 mm-hmm. and how she looked forward to seeing glory and heaven in Christ. Well, we haven't finished with this section yet. Go ahead. Well, uh, this might be the transition I was looking for to briefly talk about two weeks ago. Okay, yes, yes. You mentioned something. Yes.
2: Yes. uh, Well, it got me thinking of, well, there's several texts, including Jeremiah, but I think Psalm 73 is the classic. As for me, my feet had almost slipped, stumbled, my steps had nearly slip for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked for they have no pains until death their bodies are fat and sleek they are not in trouble as others are they are not stricken like the rest of mankind therefore pride is their necklace and violence covers them as a garment so just as the, the other side of the coin that it wasn't someone's sin that made the blind and Uh, neither is prosperity a sign that you have God's favor and his blessing
0: what you are doing so calamity or poverty is not a sign of punishment necessarily and wealth and riches is not and Psalm 73 is a good illustration of that is not an evidence of blessing but it was that flip side was often thought as well Mm -hmm. You, obviously God is blessing you you have earned his blessing mm-hmm. and so if you're a rich man you want to keep giving keep whatever to keep earning his blessing
2: yeah, all you have to do is watch some of the music
0: yeah <laughs> yeah earning uh, that reward through those lakes. yeah, done good. yeah. <laughs> good, good point thank you I'm glad you remembered your point you were kind of mentioning it last time, but, uh, but I'm glad you brought it up this time. Good, good. Okay. Well, so like I said, we're going to come come back and finish off this chapter. Not next Sunday, not this coming Sunday. I'm going to be uh, preaching on Reformation, the Reformation. Uh, a message seems like it's appropriate that we're so close to Reformation Day, and uh, the, something about the solas. The song we'll sing is all "Sola Mio." the our... I'm sorry <laughs> leave that to the professional <laughs> um, but uh, but but you know I think it's I you know uh, I'm teaching a church history class right now uh, by overseas by zoom and, and again sometimes people think well, church history what that's so irrelevant but any field of importance you study the history of it if you're going to play chess, after a while, you're going to start studying the good games. Uh, I looked up just to support my idea. I, I looked up the the War College, American War College, and the, the, the textbooks that they have online. Its first chapters are studying the great warriors, the great battles. You know, they go back and they study them. Um, and we can learn so much of, and so when we think about, and I'll say it now if we don't say it next week, Martin Luther was far from perfect. And that's a problem we have in our culture today is if someone doesn't match perfection by our current standards then we want to throw them out instead of saying, you know God used wretches by mercy and grace David the sweet psalmist of Israel uh, there's a lot in his life we could say how could God use him and that's a comfort because some of us are almost as bad (laughs) <laughs> He's almost as bad as we are. And so um, so anyway, so we're, we're not going to worship Martin Luther or the Reformation people. But we thank God for what he did and all.